Welcome to the Free Women Podcast. This is Lisa Smiley. And I am Kim Hansen. Today we are focusing on COVID-19. Specifically, what Biden plans on doing in his first 100 days. But I think, you know, with how they are planning the transition and the plans that they have to implement on America, it's, I feel like we're getting a window into what they want to do. And I think it's funny that they're that now they're sharing it after the election. Like, where were all these details before any voting occurred? They're, no, that's, that is a good question. So now, now we're getting to see what their plans are and what the policy would be. And I believe that we should take them at their word. The mask is off. <laughs> they want us to put the masks on. Because they took theirs off. Like, they're showing who they are. So, Lisa, tell me about this Biden tweet. Okay, so December 8th, Biden tweeted, Today, I'm announcing key COVID-19 priorities for the first 100 days of my administration. Everyone wears a mask, 100 million vaccinations, reopen the majority of schools. With these steps, we can change the course of the disease and change life in America for the better. And mm, mm, mm. Um, he also tweeted on December 6th, I promise you this, I will spare no effort or commitment to end this pandemic. That one scares me. It, it spare no effort or commitment. I, I know people are like, yeah, he's for it. He wants to fix it. He wants to get rid of it. But at what cost? He will spare no effort. With what they have done in 2020, to me, all that means is that they are willing to uh, take more of our religious liberties, civil liberties, and they'll use any means necessary to do that in the name of ending this pandemic. So everyone wears a mask. I like to go back, like everyone wears a mask. Most everyone wears a mask where yes. it is required or where it makes sense to wear a mask. Right. I, and he's talking about 100 million vaccinations. Um, who did that? Who did that? President Trump. Operation Warp Speed. I just want to comment on how awesome Trump's naming of uh, operations is. <laughs> he knows how to name an operation, and uh, Warp Speed is amazing. It's like Star Trek, right? Warp. No, it's, it's amazing. I think that just shows just how effective the Trump administration has been. He announced Operation Warp Speed May 15th, 2020. He tweeted that before the end of the year that he would have a vaccination. Mm -hmm. And everyone made fun of him. Mm -hmm. And what do you know? Right after the election, the vaccine was announced. Well, <laughs> literally, how many days was it? Oh, just a few days. Just a few days. Which... It raises... Suspicions. Yes, it does. It 
And goodness, I hate that we live in a time where we are like having to question motives so much. Well, but we don't all agree on the same things anymore. We don't have anything that binds us um, principle-wise or moral-wise or ethics-wise. So, that of course, we're all going to be suspicious. Oh, I just don't like it. Neither. And the third thing he said, well, was reopen the majority of schools. What kind of deal is he going to make with the teacher unions to get that to happen? Because the teachers unions are who are holding back on school start, schools being in person in a lot of big cities. That's exactly, that's exactly right, Kim. Uh, the Chicago Teachers Union tweeted out, The push to reopen schools is rooted in sexism, racism, and misogyny. And they just filed a request for an injunction to stop in-person instruction that is supposed to start January 11th. How does this make sense? It doesn't. And is that contradictory to uh, I, right. Joe so Biden's I think they're trying to paint Joe Biden as the president who saved us from the coronavirus. Not Trump, the, the president who actually brought us the vaccine, but that Joe Biden came in. He brought the vaccinations. He reopened the schools. Because you know, the, 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 the stats, the facts of the matter is that schools are not spreader uh, places. <laughs> Super spreader events. <laughs> and children are safe in schools. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of key, a key piece to our economy. If schools aren't open, parents have to stay home with their kids if they have a job to go to. Or they don't have a job to go to and their kids are home. And what if they can't pay for electricity for their computer for um, distance learning or their internet for distance learning? This is schools being closed, not to mention the toll that it's taking on children's social uh, social skills on their on their just learning think of how much kids lose over the summer and then now we're looking at march april may they never went back Mm -hmm. then they've kind of gone back and and they want to continue to this the teachers unions want to stay closed (laughs) why what what why Are they using it as a bargaining chip? I don't know. All I know is I don't trust it. They don't have the student's best interest at heart. They have their own comfort and what they want. That's what they want. It's not about the kids. It's about themselves. And I don't know how you, you show me anything different. I'd be happy to see if I'm missing something. Please, someone, show me. But from what I've seen, they just are in it for themselves. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. 
and speaking of uh, distance learning, tell me about what happened on a Zoom class. Oh, man. A boy shoots himself in the head on a Zoom. 11 years old, wasn't he? He was young. These are the heartbreaking stories that are coming out from these lockdowns. Mm -hmm. And this is not, I mean, this is the most recent one, maybe. Mm -hmm. But we've been hearing these stories of young people committing suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, I was on Twitter and there was a story about Spencer Smith, who died by suicide on Friday. His family says he left a note writing that he felt locked in the house and disconnected from his friends due to the pandemic, according to News Center of Maine. I mean, these are the stories that are coming out. And what, we're still pro-lockdowns? It, it just breaks my heart. And, and see, that is something that, okay, given the benefit of the doubt, all right reopen the majority of schools, I think that's a good plan. I, I do think that's a good plan, but you know who's, whose job that is to decide? The local school districts, not the federal government. Trump, or Trump, Biden in this plan is just showing he wants to micromanage our lives from Washington to uh, one, two, three, uh, I'm thinking of an address like <laughs> Main Street. Main Street. <laughs> One, two, three, Main Street. Um, they want to tell you everything to do. It's just, just crazy. But I think there's something with the with the teachers' unions going on there, or some sort of. It has to because he has to get them on board. Oh yeah, I, I totally think there's a coordination going on behind closed doors. And it's amazing, they have hardly taught, but yet they still expect to get paid while the kids are at home and the parents have to uh, provide childcare. The parents have to provide childcare, so they have to pay someone else, plus, plus they're paying for the schools, right? the public schools, So they're, and they're losing their jobs because they're locked down and they can't work. It. Yeah. It sounds like the perfect situation for a big benevolent government to sweep in and take care of your every need because we love you. Yes. Nanny state, anyone? I wonder if that's where nanny state came from. Hmm. Goodness gracious. It's amazing how, how far we've come in 2020 with COVID and just the developments. Literally, we are fighting to make a living. We are fighting for the right to send our kids back to school while we're still paying for it. We're fighting to uh, take a walk with our dog down the road. Oh, no, they're saying, oh, you can't even um, take unnecessary walks anymore. Uh, is this America? Well, and they, do they, they want you eating. I, I think they want you home in front of your television with your computer you know or your your device eating your lean cuisine or whatever it is that uh, by yourself and 
because they don't want you to have family over to eat and they don't want you to go out to eat. Why don't they just ship us all ready-to-eat meals and we'll just all stay home? It's like meals on wheels for everybody. That's, that's where we could go. It's disturbing. And my question is, why do they want us alone? What is their motivation? Well, uh, well okay, so let's talk about Thanksgiving, okay. right? Uh, before Thanksgiving, they were telling us, don't travel, don't see your family. You could infect your grandma. Mm-hmm. Just stay where you're at. Like what? Thanksgiving, the holidays? We can't even be with family? And you bring up a good point because I think people do have conversation at Thanksgiving. They're sharing about what's going on. And I think there is this developing collective um, sense that uh, this is not right. And when you get families together, when you get friends together, you know, we talk. We talk about, hey, maybe we shouldn't be locked down. Maybe we why why are we wearing a mask when it's inconclusive whether they work or not? Mm -hmm. And I think the best conversations happen at the dinner table. Oh, like the one we're sitting at now. <laughs> of course. They do. They, they do spawn good conversation. And goodness knows we wouldn't want people to have a conversation and like love and accept each other, even though we don't agree on things. No, never. I get highly suspicious when I feel like I'm being cornered and shoved in a certain direction. And when they said don't travel for the holidays, I had my husband and I had booked our travel back in August to go home for Thanksgiving because we go home every year for Thanksgiving. And I knew it wasn't going to be a normal Thanksgiving. Nowhere normal. But you know what? I'm not looking for a normal Thanksgiving. I'm looking for Thanksgiving. I am celebrating Thanksgiving. And it felt literally like we were rebels. Like we were going to the airport. We we're like, yeah, we're against the man. It, it was the wildest thing. But the fact that every, the powers that be were saying, don't travel, don't go, don't be around family, that welled up in me the uh, desire and gave me the fortitude to to go even more. I am a free woman. I am going to take advantage of my freedoms. Just because other people don't want to, that's fine. But I'm going to, while I have them, I sure am going to. I don't want to look back and, and uh, wish I would have done something different. I mean... I never know. My mom's almost 70 and I'm going to take every opportunity I have to see her. That trumps all this other stuff for me. And we did it in a safe way. We weren't up there hugging all over each other. It was the least contact we'd ever had, but you know what? We were in the same room together and my mama, she just wants to be in the same room with me. She doesn't even care if I'm sleeping or talking to her or anything she just wants to be in the same, actually, house in the, in the vicinity. That's it. And that was enough. And to me, that was a bigger, that outweighed 
all that is more important than all this noise about and all this all these scare tactics is what I think it is. Right. And what's so infuriating about these lockdowns is that the Democrat governors, mayors and elected officials, they don't even follow their own rules. Mm. We have, we, I mean, you go online and there are scores and scores of reports of them telling us not to travel to see our family for Thanksgiving, turning around and traveling to see their family for Thanksgiving or reprimanding us on air when they're on TV about wearing masks and how important the mask is. You could save a life. And then they're caught not wearing masks themselves. Or, of course, we have uh, Nancy Pelosi shutting down the salons and then going to a salon and getting her hair done without a mask. So, honestly, it doesn't seem like they're terribly concerned about this virus. And they're not terribly concerned about what we think about them not following the rules. <laughs> you would think it would have uh, triggered, you know, uh, maybe a few resignations. You don't know. They have no remorse. Yeah. It, Nancy Pelosi was set up. <laughs> yes. But it... Yes. The, the classes are... The distinction between the elites and the common folk is um, it's getting more defined. The gap is becoming wider between the haves and the have-nots. And I believe that like, as the gap gets wider, the haves care less and less and less about what the have-nots have to say about anything. Because we're, no, we're, we're getting further and further away from being able to give them any pushback that would mean anything. Does that make sense? Yep. So I, I, I really feel like it's a middle finger to all of us. Yeah. I mean, it is. And we the people, I feel like we're losing our, our liberties. And they see the concentration of power in their hands mm-hmm. in 2020 with what happened um, this year with the coronavirus. And they saw it like, oh, okay, in, in the name of uh, ending this pandemic, in the name of keeping everyone safe, keeping you guys safe, we have to shut everything down. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really startling and just disappointing that so many Americans have gone along with it. Yeah, well, but how many generations are we away from um, being taught that we value our personal liberties in the United States? That that, that is, that we are exceptional, that we are not the norm. Having personal rights, what? That were given to us by God, not, not the government. Not government. I mean, that is a radical idea. And the narrative has shifted from explaining the creation of America and teaching it for the awesome force for good that it was. Do we make mistakes and do bad things? Yes, everyone does. And I'm not painting, I'm not just passing over that. I'll take all of it. But the good far outweighs 
the bad. And for the last two generations in academia, and they students have been taught that America's bad, and it's all been focusing on the bad, 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 nothing about what our liberties are, what we really have. And what makes us unique from every other nation in this world. We don't want to take advantage or recognize the, the freedoms that we do have, and we want to create new rights that don't even exist in nature, like uh, changing your sex. Like, you don't have the right to free speech, but I have the right to tell you to call me a man, but I'm a woman. Are you racist? Like, nonsense. And Lisa, that gap between the haves and have nots by killing the small businesses, mm -hmm. that is what is widening that gulf. So breakdown, don't you have some good info on what's happening with small businesses? Or I do. So 2020, there's been a huge transfer of wealth from these lockdowns. Amazon profit is up by 100%. Walmart profit is up by 80%. Target, their profits are up by 80%. Lowe's profits are up by 74%. And Microsoft... Facebook, Apple, Google, their stocks are at record highs. But small businesses, 21% are closed and the revenue for the rest are down 30%. I read today that 17% of restaurants are closed for good. As of today. And what what's so crazy is you look at the supply chain that goes back up from them all of the businesses that serve the restaurant industry I think of California Southern California what is Orange County doing without Disneyland oh it's it's crazy that Disneyland is still closed just think of the loss of billions of dollars of revenue. All the people who work there, uh -huh. all the hotels around, uh -huh. all the restaurants around, all the parking, all of the things. Knott's Berry Farm, right? Like mm -hmm. all of those things. And this is happening all around the country. This is not just an isolated incident. Yeah, it's... It is the hollowing out of the middle class. And that's what's necessary for a revolution, right? Mm-hmm. We need... Uh, we, we can't have a middle class. We can't have uh, millions and millions of people who make a living for themselves, who take care of ourselves without the government's help. Mm -hmm. We can't have that for a revolution. No, no, you can't. That's why communism didn't just come over from the USSR. They tried to, communists tried to come over and start a revolution, but they couldn't because of the middle class. When you have economic and social mobility, 
Why do you need to revolt when you can just dig your heels in, get in and make it and, and have more than you ever thought you could? So what did those Marxists do when they, they couldn't figure, they couldn't do a class struggle. They couldn't start a revolution that way. They, they uh, turned to cultural Marxism. They sure did, where they started to pit sexes against each other and races against each other and started all of that. Um, that was the birth, basically, of what we're dealing with today with intersectionality and equity and all of those things. That, those are the clothes that communism put on. It's like the... Um, the big bad wolf in Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> Communism dressed up in the clothes of intersectionality and uh, critical race theory and grievances and all of those things and got in and we're going to see the teeth bare. The, the wolf is going to bare their, their teeth and we cannot be surprised. We cannot afford to be surprised about that. Indeed. So I wanted to go back just a little bit to the beginning of the year. Just like, just revisit what happened since the beginning of this virus. It's called COVID-19 because it was only discovered in 2019. So I know that was a kind of a long time ago with everything that's happened with the election, but I think it's very important to just remember and reflect on how this all happened. Mm -hmm. So 2020, January, February, we were hearing reports from China about what was going on in Wuhan. And I admit, I was pretty concerned about this virus. I mean, it's a novel coronavirus. And so when we heard about what was happening in China, it was really scary. I mean, Chinese officials were literally locking people in their apartments. And this was when the virus was just, you know, a disease halfway across the world. And it looked like the Chinese officials and the CCP were terrified of uh, the virus. And then um, journalists who were reporting in the city of Wuhan were harassed and silenced and they disappeared. Just, just these crazy stories coming out. I mean, this isn't like, uh, you know, some of the other uh, viruses that have also come out of China, like SARS. I mean, it was spreading. That China was in lockdown. And then it uh, jumped to... Uh, Europe, and the, just the reports that were um, coming from Italy. I don't know if you remember, Kimmy, about I, all the elderly that were <laughs> dying off. And I was like, wow, what, is, what in the world is going on? And then, of course, uh, Trump closed our borders to China in January, which obviously is now proven to have been a good thing, despite what the Democrats said. Fauci even said it did. Yes. St. Fauci. <laughs> and of course, um, it was not contained. 
thanks to uh, the Chinese Communist Party, they closed their borders from Wuhan to the rest of the country, yet they did not close the borders from China to the rest of the world. And that, I think, tells you everything you need to know about the Chinese government. They, they, are, they will happily export this virus to, to us and try to, you know, contain it within their own borders. China does export a lot of things. <laughs> They're kind of known for their, wow. their exports. And I'm speaking as a former Chinese national, by the way. So I am intimately uh, aware of how the Chinese government works. So, you know, it came to America. And I think with, you know, in the beginning, it was, you know, we did not know how bad this virus was going to be. I mean, was it like the bubonic plague that would take out a quarter of Europe, mm -hmm. a quarter of the world? Was this the pestilence that the Book of Revelations talked about? <laughs> did you know, Kim? <laughs> no, I, it, it sure smelled like that could be the case. Right. It, it really did. And looking back, it's like we didn't know how to treat it. We didn't know how to treat it then. We didn't know what would work then. Mm -hmm. And like in Italy, it was kind of a perfect storm of events because it, the average age in Italy is, is something really, really high. They have a lot of pensioners there. And that's the group who is high risk. And they smoke in Italy. And they just, there's a lot of their lifestyle that... Um, I want to say created a perfect environment for the virus to just kind of rush through it, wreaking havoc. Mm -hmm. Why do we insist on acting like we're still there? <laughs> like we still don't know, like we don't have any therapeutics at all. I hear all these cases, we're getting cases and cases and cases and cases and cases. How many Republicans have gotten COVID and are perfectly fine now. We lost Herman Cain, which is a very sad thing. But I don't know what actually killed him. We do. I think he has a history of cancer. He was above 70 years old. Mm -hmm. So I think there were underlying health issues there. Sure. But, and, and then I'm trying to think of the Democrats that got it. It's just, it's weird. I'm not trying to say there's a, a conspiracy theory. But now Trump's whole legal team, Jenna Ellis yeah. and Rudy, like, mm, I know they're flying all over the place and taking care of business just like they should, just like they should. But it's just one of those things that make you wonder, seems a little one-sided. <laughs> I don't know, but it could be because we're the ones that are actually out doing things, making things happen, um, which is typical. I mean, that's more what conservatives do there make it happen and the uh i hate saying liberals that's not progressives are that we just want to tell you what to do crowd we're just going to sit on our butts and tell you what to do or not to do and we're like no get out of our way we're going to do it ourselves mm -hmm. covid is covid tested america it tested america's health system mm -hmm. and i think we can't agree between you and me at least is that 
America's healthcare system has proven to be so much more robust and innovative than any other country in the world. Yep. With how we dealt with COVID, a, a brand new virus that we had not seen, and how we developed therapeutics, treatments, and companies stepped forward. They started building ventilators. And now we have so many more ventilators than we even need. No, no one was um, who needed one couldn't get one. Well, and it turns out that like being put on a ventilator is not really a good thing. They were smacking all these people on ventilators, and that was perpetuating the the uh, the decline of their lungs. Mm-hmm. And because once you go on a ventilator, it's really hard to get off. So ventilators aren't the end all be all, but we got eighteen thousand bajillion <laughs> of them, and we'll send them to whoever wants a ventilator. Right. We're gonna have clearance deals on. <laughs> Buy one, get one free. So the cases are going up, yet the death rate has gone down. Our healthcare system has proven so much more robust. I mean, they were saying we're going to be, the the hospitals were going to be overcrowded and it was unsustainable. And that's why we needed to go into lockdown for 15 days. That was over 240 days ago. That was a, the real reason for the lockdowns, guys. And we need to remember that. And I was, you know, okay, we don't know how this is going to go. We don't want the hospitals to be overcrowded. Okay, 15 days, yeah, we could do that. Maybe a month, yeah, okay. We'll close the schools for a month just so, you know, we can get our bearings and see what this virus is about. But it's been months and months and months since 15 days to slow the spread. Did you get the mailer from President Trump mm-hmm. about the 15 days to slow the spread? No. I don't know if anyone else checks their mail, but in the mail, right when that was happening, there was a, a beautiful little postcard mailer from President Trump talking about the 15 days to slow the spread and what we were going to do. And I am a collector of historical items and books and rare things, cultural. I just, I love it. I love collecting all those things, things that are important. And that little postcard definitely made my collection for uh, reminders of, like, and I thought of how fast they turned around getting that mailer out. They like decided it, printed it, got it, post office had it delivered like as two days after they announced it. Like that sort of efficiency, we can do it when we want to as a country. When there is the political will and the urgency, we can make things happen. That is a good thing, but that's also a scary thing, <laughs> depending on who is. Uh, You're right, because things can change real quick mm-hmm. in the wrong direction. So with 2020, I feel like a lot of things have been revealed that were hidden in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think these lockdowns that the Democrat governors and blue states are still pushing for have really exposed to average Americans who don't take much, um, you know, they don't have time to follow politics 
it's really revealed a lot about these Democrats and their plans and what they really think of the American people. They are radical totalitarian tyrants. Yep. And you know what uh, Benjamin Franklin's motto was? It's amazing. I love it. Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Come on, Benjamin Franklin. I would love to hung out with Benjamin Franklin. I bet he was the funnest founding father. Most interesting and funnest, I, I think. I mean, I don't know. Maybe John Adams was fun, too. And oh, he seemed a little boring. He's, yeah. he's one of my favorites. Yeah, he seemed boring. George Washington, I'd have to sit up straight all the time, and he just, he's so civil. I feel like Benjamin Franklin, you could cut loose a little bit and just have fun. Lisa, I do, I think we would be remiss if we didn't cover, I think, maybe the most passionate um, issue for you concerning these lockdowns and the reaction to COVID, and that is how the American church has handled all of this. Okay. So, so I believe, Kim, that the church, God's people, is the hope of the world. And to be honest, I've been really disappointed in the overall church's response to COVID. So in the beginning, they told us that nurses, doctors, you know, healthcare workers, and, you know, the grocery stores, these were essential services. These were the essential workers. And they closed the churches. And okay, you know, if it was going to just be for a month, I was okay with doing online church Mm -hmm. for a month, maybe two. Yet, even as as we learned more about this virus, as we developed the therapeutics and treatments that really do work to help people get better, the churches stayed closed. And some churches even announced that they weren't going to open until the end of the year, and we'll see after that. And it's, it's, been, it's been revealing, I think, with the, the politicians, but also what our Christian leaders did during this period. And, I mean, a few heroes have emerged. John Pipe, uh, sorry, John MacArthur. <laughs> with him standing up to the California government telling them, we're not going to stay closed. We're going to have church like usual because we are essential. The science does not, does not say we should stay home, like remain closed. Right. It's funny. The church, the church is asking the government, show me the science, show me the (laughs) science. And the government saying, no, just believe us, have faith. Wait a second, are we doing things backwards? This is backwards land. The government's saying, believe us. Church is saying, give us facts. 2020, man, crazy. Yeah, it's a little upside down. We also had Sean Foyt, who refused to back down. And so he took his events, Let Us Worship events, outdoors all across America. And he's asking... God's people, hey, we have a right to worship God. We have the right to assemble. And, you know, he did so many interviews. And 
I just think, okay, these are the heroes during this time. Pastors and leaders who are willing to stand up to the state. Who will obey God over anything that man can say. I mean, there is no COVID exception in our constitution or in our Bible. God Mm -hmm. says we cannot neglect gathering together, meeting together, because we are sheep. And the enemy comes and does his work best when we're alone, when Mm -hmm. we're not together, when we're not with our friends, with our family, with our church body, encouraging each other, supporting each other, laying hands on each other, praying for the sick. All these things are essential if you are a Christian. Essential. Not, not, uh, if nothing else is going on on this Sunday at 10 a.m. <laughs> this is, this is a, a life style. It is, it, it is a way of living. And we're trying to be, to- they're trying to tell us that we can't, we can't do that. You can't do long distance church. It's not a thing. I'm sorry. It's like having a long distance relationship with your husband or wife. It sucks. It's not the real thing. Yeah. It, I mean, I think of Paul writing all the letters he did and how much rebuking had to go on because of what was happening while he was away. Like, we have to be in community with other believers that will love us and hold us accountable to God. I say hold us accountable to God, but hold us accountable to ourselves and the standard we, we profess to have. And we are very unique in that fact right now in this nation. There aren't very many, uh, I say, groups, clubs, places, organizations that do what the church does. It, it just doesn't exist outside of that. And that's why maybe they don't have any understanding at all for what the church is like. They have none. The secular world has no idea what actually, I say, goes on. I don't mean it in a weird, ritualistic way. Just what that lifestyle is really like. And maybe as Christians, we've been bad witnesses. And we haven't been as Christian. Our Christian hasn't been showing in public. So they don't see it and how it manifests. I don't know. Just a thought. What's sad is that too many of our Christian leaders have put fear of the state, fear of the virus, and fear of man over their fear of God. And with so much uncertainty and just how much the nation is gripped with fear, how so many people are living in fear, and we have reports of uh, suicides and drug abuse, alcohol abuse during these times. This is the perfect Kairos moment for the church to step up and to give hope 
when people are desperate. I mean, millions of people have lost their jobs, lost their businesses. Children are at home with their parents. I mean, do we not see that this is the perfect opportunity for the church to step up and give the hope that we have? Or do we not believe it? Is, do, do we think it's just for us? Mm, Lisa, you are on to something there. You are on to something. Because if we believe it, why aren't we reaching out? Why aren't we talking about it? Do we really believe it? I think this is showing who will or who does. I think you're right, Kim. And the Bible talks about how God will separate the wheat from the tears. And, you know, the tears and the wheat, they look identical. Until harvest time, until you, you uh, crack open and see what's inside. And I, I feel like that, that's what's happening in the church right now. We are seeing people emerge who will stand up, who will be the men and women that we need at this hour. And then we see the, the leaders who will cower, who will uh, take the orders from Governor Newsom or Governor Cuomo. Okay, okay, Governor, we'll, we'll keep our doors closed. When, the, when people are hungry, they're in a state of desperation where I feel like they are open to the gospel. That... I agree with that wholeheartedly. Now, there have been wins, like in New York, the Supreme Court of New York, or the Supreme Court said... Yes, thank you, ACB. Yeah, said, no, you cannot close churches and synagogues and mosques. So that that was good. Thank goodness for that. Um, I don't... It, it's kind of sad that the First Amendment... The freedom of religion is the stepchild right there. It's like everything else, freedom of press and freedom of assembly, all of those things. But freedom of religion is, eh, mm, whatever. I believe, though, that it is time, and this has been on my heart for a while because I felt it coming we have to be the body. We really do have to be the body. And that means doing what God has called us to do where we are in our life and in our sphere of influence. And as we, as Christians, love people and pray for people, just love them truly love them as I pray. I want them to see Jesus, Jesus' love for them. I want them to feel that through me, an interaction with me. And if they are looking for answers and they're looking for hope, I know where to point them. And we have to know where to point them, which is to Jesus. And our churches have been fat and sassy 
for a long time. We have been in the land of milk and honey. I've said it. We have had every, we could take every class. We could do everything, the best conferences, the best worship, any ministry you could think of. And COVID has put a halt on all of that development, put a big hindrance on all of that development at the church. And so what that shows, what that, I feel like what God is is really saying with this is like, all right, y'all been equipped, but y'all, you, you've had it. You've had the opportunity to get, I say right with him, but also find out, realize who you are in him and what you can do. And it's now incumbent on us as Christians to take what we have, the freedom that we've gained and what we've learned and our testimonies and go into and just be who we are, a hundred percent of who we are in Christ in every interaction we have in this world. That I believe is where the revival will happen. And then we have these amazing churches to go to and to send people to like, go, these are the, these are the places that are standing up that believe in, actually believe in what they profess and they're healthy places to go and be discipled. But evangelism, and and I use that term, some people are like, eh, they think, I don't mean it in some weird, like, uh, raising money kind of way. I just mean it in sharing the love of Christ and and, uh, introducing people to him. It's our own individual responsibilities as Christians. And if we really believe the word of God, that Jesus is the only way, Mm -hmm. and that he died and rose from the dead and defeated sin in the grave and sits at the right hand of the father if we really believe that we're not so scared we're not as scared to die as the rest of the world is i mean i've noticed with my my christian friends we are laughing having fun we're smiling this is the most exciting interesting time to be alive right now and then I go and I'm around other people and it's like scared and doom and gloom. And yes, you can, you can sense the difference in this, this lockdown, this virus has really brought that out. Mm-hmm. God's word says to you, don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. I'm calling on my Christian friends to remove said basket from their light. And just shine exactly where you are. Just do it where you are and let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. I don't want to wait on a church to open to 100% for me to share God's love with people. I'm not waiting on that. There, we, our old model is, is changing. That old, old church model is it's in the middle of getting changed. So in the meantime... What if we were just actually Christians who did Christian things in our place in the world? That's my, that's my idea. 
Yeah, and I think just the last point I want to make is, you know, we've been reporting on a lot of negative news. And I feel like the narrative is, well, like the the Democrats, the progressives, they think COVID was the opportunity to take over, to bring in all these new ideas, these progressive, um, you know, new new ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. And it, it is very disappointing. It's it's very scary. But ultimately, as a Christian, I, I feel like God always has the last word. And he is able, he is more than able to turn this around for our good, that he is a God of redemption. And despite how 2020 has looked, and, you know, we are, you know, in December, it's almost over. And I think a lot of us can breathe, breathe a sigh of relief. Yet I'm looking towards the future and I think, okay, God, this sucks. But you, you have something up your sleeve and you have a redemption story that you will weave from what we went through. Absolutely. That, that hope. And I believe, I think that's the difference, a big difference between a cultural Christian, like almost like a cultural Jew. Like they just grew up that way, but they don't believe any of it. They still vote left. Um, this is an this is an opportunity for the great reset and all those things, but God's got a great reset in mind too. Amen. And the opportunity is there. This is opportunity. So I just encourage all of us to look at this as an opportunity, not as some sort of sentence or or to give in to despair. Because it's, like Lisa said, God. God uses all things. All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And that is a promise. You can take that to the bank. And God's bank never runs out of money. And he doesn't have to print anymore. His economy is amazing. So, anyway... You think that wraps it up, Lise? Yep, I think they'll do it. All right. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.